been a trying and a moving week for us. A week in which we've had a death of a dear, beloved saint. And in the same week, we've had a birth to a couple, a new baby boy, and birthdays celebrated. It's a typical Christian walk of joy and sorrow, both expressed at the same time. Planning for the funeral, the arrangements have been set, as Charmon mentioned, going to be right here. Where else would it be? And sweet communion, 10 o'clock for the viewing and 11 o'clock for the service. We're going to need help. We're going to need each of us to help in several ways. One is we need to prepare our building for that service, and we can only do that after our Wednesday service, so we only have that night to do it in. We'll need to, um, um, one thing we can do ahead of time is have uh, those who are available, um, perhaps on Tuesday, to, to help us with the fellowship hall and clearing that out. We won't be able to put tables and chairs there until after Truth Seekers on Wednesday, but Tuesday we can clear the partitions and everything else that, that needs to be cleared out of there. So if you're available um, Tuesday evening, um, just arrange with me and, and we'll get a group, a, a crew that can do that. And then all of us can help who attend Wednesday service um, to help set up for our uh, repast meal after our truth seekers on Wednesday night. So we'll be doing that. And then, of course, to uh, prepare our sanctuary that it's clean and neat and cared for uh, and appropriate for, for service. So if you uh, can volunteer for any of those things, as uh, um, Donna mentioned, she'll be uh, working with those who help with the meal, and they'll be talking this after service today for that. And uh, you can talk with me uh, about all the other arrangements that uh, we need to do. <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning will come from 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start at the end of chapter 2, actually. First John chapter 2, verse 28, through the end of chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. If you raise your hand, they'll bring one right to you that you can use for our service this morning. First John chapter 2, verse 28, and chapter 3. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
Everyone who practices, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Since, excuse me, sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, this is the message that, you've, that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God give us understanding this portion of scripture that we read. The latter portion will be our text for this morning. If you would remain standing with me as we pause and bow our heads for a moment of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to fellowship together, to worship, to praise you, to call out to you in prayer, to hear your word, be comforted, encouraged, and challenged by your word this morning. We pray that you would use your word and use the fellowship amongst us to stir our hearts to a love
for you, a love for each other, and obedience to you. Our hearts, Lord, are heavy because of the death of dear sister Beverly, and Lord, we just pray that you'd minister to us. Help us as we minister to each other. We pray especially for Charles. We thank you for his faithfulness, his faithfulness to you, his faithfulness to his wife, ministering to her during the entire time that she was with us. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage, that you would comfort, that you would strengthen him, uphold him, Lord. We know you have, you've given him strength. We've seen that already. And we just pray, Lord, that you would maintain him during this time, that you would speak to his heart during those, <coughs> during those lonely hours, <coughs> that you would bring comfort to him, Lord. We pray for Charmone, for Lawrence, for Reggie, for all of her family. We think of Reggie and Phyllis who were part of her prayer every time she prayed. And we just pray for salvation for each of them. We pray that you would use the service on Thursday to proclaim the gospel. A gospel that encourages believers. A gospel that brings hope to sinners. A gospel that is our only hope. Use that. Speak your word, Lord. Be with the service that the gospel will go forth and no distraction would prevent it from hitting its mark. Now we pray and thank you for this service and we just pray that you would um, speak to us through your word. We pray for your people here. Thanking you, Lord, for... Um, your healing. Think of Mickey, who's back with us. We thank you for her. We pray for Dwayne and Savannah as they travel, a time of vacation that they have planned for so long. We pray that they would enjoy that time together. You bring them safely back. We pray for part of our, our fellowship that suffers physically, Lord, from sickness and ailments of the body that in some ways we don't even understand. We pray for Brenda Adams that you would watch over and be with her. Lord, we, um, we, uh, we just ask that you would comfort her heart in the, what she's going through, Lord. We pray for Sister Lola Spears and what she's going through in her own sickness, that you would continue to speak and comfort her heart and let her be comforted through your fellowship, Lord. That you would just uh, work to be a, help her to be a testimony to her family. I pray for my dad as well, Lord, that you would help him, that you would encourage his heart, that you would allow him to be a testimony um, to to his family. 
just your group of people here, Lord. We just pray that you would sustain us. Help us as we minister to each other, Lord. Show us how to do that and help us in that. So, Lord, we just pray um, now as your word goes out that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Please be seated. I left out Sister Minnie Kathy in my prayer this morning, but she is certainly not forgotten. Forgotten by the Lord. We uh, talked to her this week and, and, uh, she shared how she had a low blood count as well, in fact, very, very low, and that the uh, doctors had given her three months to live, and that she went home and researched and began to uh, look at what she could do in terms of her diet that might affect that, and, and she did, in fact, um, see some things and take some things and and I don't know if it was that or just the Lord working in his way but he raised her count up and that she is doing uh, much better and just to talk to her you could tell from her her voice that she had been encouraged by the Lord and the Lord had touched her body so we we thank God for that we don't know why God works the way that he does and his own timing and the way that that he does, but um, I don't even try to understand that. I just know God is good and that he is gracious and that we can go to him for help and that we can worship and praise him for who he is. So we continue to do that. Our text this morning, I call it confidence and reassurance from God. Confidence and reassurance from God. You know, in the theme of 1 John, he is, he is challenging and encouraging at the same time. He gives us three basic tests that we can apply in our own lives and that we should apply um, to, to see whether or not we are in the faith. Now, I know some people don't like that. They, they say, you, you shouldn't challenge people as to whether their faith is is real or not. That's between them and God. No, it's not. Their faith affects other people. When, when, when people claim to know God and live an inconsistent life, they discourage many people. And their faith is there for all to see. They are to be a light and salt to the world. As Jesus said, let your light so shine, not just to God, but before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he meant for the faith that he has given us to be alive, and seen by others, not hidden under a bushel or, or, or hidden in some way, but to be seen. 
In other words, for our lives to be a testimony. And, and, and John is telling his readers, here's how you can know whether your faith is real or is just fake. He gives three basic tests. The test of faith or belief. The test of, of, of love. Whether or not you, we've gone through that in the last couple sessions, whether you love God's people and love God. And then the simple test of obedience. Do you obey God? Is the pattern of your life matching up with those tests? Now, in chapter 3, starting at this section here in verse 18, verse 19, he says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. By what? Well, the way John writes and the way he speaks, sometimes you're not sure when he says something like that, if he's talking about what he just said or if he's talking about something he's about to say. And in reality, he's, he's, he's hitting, uh, he's going around with these three tests and hitting them over and over again so you could go either way and not make a mistake. By what? By what he just said, as well as what he's about to say, these are tests for you to know what? By this we know, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. That term of the truth is, is, is pretty significant because he's, he's been talking that way to us before. When he says, are you of the truth? Of means coming from, Right? Or being, being uh, 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 the truth refers to God. He, he talks from chapter 1, we'll go through a few verses of, of how he connects truth with God. And therefore he connects truth with God's people. He says, now I'm going to tell you how you know or how you should know that you are of the truth or of God or part of God's people. So this is a significant statement. How do you know, another term he uses, we use the term here, of the truth, he said, been born of him. That you are the product of God. Something that he produces, not just something you decided to do on your own, but something that God, in other words, God produced you, God made you. This is how you know that you are of the truth. He said, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is how you know if you're of the truth. He says you, you, you can't uh, say that you are fellowshipping with him that you're connected to God, but in your lifestyle, you walk in darkness. He says you lie and do not practice the truth. So there that term truth comes up. Again, in verse 8 of chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And he's, he's, he's making it even stronger, not, not just that you're not telling what is true. 
He's saying what is true is not in you. In other words, God himself is not living in you if you act this way. In chapter 2, verse 4, he uses the word again. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The truth, not in him. Chapter 2, verse 21, he says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. No lie comes from God. God is truth. And then in verse 27, chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Deceive, deception is opposite of the truth, isn't it? But the anointing that you receive from him abides you in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Again, he associates the anointing, the Holy Spirit himself, with the truth. And we've seen that Connection before in, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit bears the truth, speaks the truth. He is the spirit of truth. So he's saying, going back to our text, this is how you can know if you are of the truth. That you come from the one who is truth. This is how you know. How is it that we know? Let's look at our text. Verse 19 of chapter 3. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure, reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. How do you know that you are of the truth? Well, he's stating here is there is an, there is an inward confirmation. <laughs> people don't like this, and, and, and some people use this in, in wrong ways. There's an inward confirmation that lets you know that you are of the truth. Now, why we don't like that? Because some people can say, I got this inward confirmation, and, and they don't really have it. They're just faking it, right? So we like something that's a little more uh, substantial, something that's obvious. But God says there is something, or actually someone, in, inwardly who's reassuring you that you are of the truth. Why do we need that? Well, he says this, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, so this inward confirmation is not our heart. It's not our conscience. Because our conscience is not reliable. There are times when, as a believer, our conscience condemns us. Our heart condemns us. What do we mean by condemn? It says, you're not right. You can't be of God if this happened to you. Or if you've done this or that. 
You can't be of God. But he says there are times when our heart condemns us. But he says at those times, there is an inward confirmation that God gives from himself. And it says here, God is greater than our heart. I am so thankful (laughs) for that truth. Because I can't rely on my heart all the time. My own heart, in other words, my own thinking, the assurance that comes from, from me uh, uh, inwardly, uh, 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 just, just from me, it, it's, it's not enough. There's times when there's doubt. There's times when there's attack from the enemy that, that just puts us in despair. And there's times when we've experienced really tough things and we wonder, does God love me? Am I really his child? Would he actually treat me like this? And it says there's times when our heart condemns us. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross, he says, Father, Father, why? Have you forsaken me? In other words, he experienced and felt a forsaking by God himself. I think all believers go through a time of doubt. John the Baptist, one of the greatest preachers of all time, a rugged, strong man. A man who knew God without a doubt. Yet when he came to the end, near the end of his life, he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel, for speaking the truth, for being a powerful prophet. He was imprisoned and he sent messengers over to Jesus. And in essence, what he's saying is, what's going on? Are you really the one? Now, John knew that Jesus was the one. John was the one who announced Jesus to the whole world. He's the one that told everybody, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He says, I've come out to you to challenge you to repentance and to baptize you, but I'm turning you over to him. In a moment of despair, he says to Jesus by messenger, was I right? Could I possibly have been mistaken? (laughs) Jesus sends those messengers back to him. And he says, tell John what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The dead are raised again. Tell John what you see. In other words, he, he, he didn't pamper John, but at the same time, he, he didn't scold John. He comforted him, what? By the truth. He says, my works speak for themselves, and don't doubt that, John. You're on the right path. You've been on the right path. When you trust in me, you may be discouraged at times. You may even question at times, but you are on the right path. Jesus reassured him in himself. We often, we can experience 
a weak, a weakness and a condemnation. But the assurance is not found in ourselves. Some people, you know, when they ask me, preacher, why, why are you confident? Why are you bold? Why, why do you do or why do you live the way that you live? I have confidence in God. But they think somehow it's an inner confidence that I have. And yet it's, it's not all that. And yet it is. Let me explain why. He says this. Verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Pause there. God knows the sinful thought that I have, that, I, that I've had yesterday, that I have today, that I may have tomorrow. He knows all about me. He knows all about you. He knows everything, and yet it says... <laughs> When our heart condemns us, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. God reassures us, not based on who we are, but who he is. And because of who he is, who we are. You get what I'm saying? Because of who God is, he says, you are my child and you are secure in me. I reassure you that. No, you're not perfect. <laughs> yes, you are a sinner that's been redeemed by the grace of God. Yes, you may struggle ups and downs, but you are mine, and I, 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 I give you that assurance of that. But he also says something else. That assurance isn't just a blanket assurance for everybody to latch on to and run with. Because often people want to do that. They want to say, well, I, I'm cool. I, I know I'm right with God. But they have no testimony in their own life to support that. The people I've talked about, when I talk about John the Baptist, God had called him from his mother's womb to say, you're going to be my servant. And he had served and honored and pleased God and was willing to go to his death serving God. In that moment of facing death, he, he questioned whether or not this is all God's plan. And God reassured him. So we're not talking about someone who has no testimony, have a very shaky testimony. Look, we look in, in, in chapter 3, it says, if you have a pattern of sinning in your life, you can't call yourself a believer. The one who sins and continues to sin does not have reassurance from God. So he says it this way in our text. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Do you notice what he's talking about here? <laughs> He links this confidence that we have, this reassurance that we have with the pattern that God has established in our life because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. He didn't say that's what got you your security 
in God. He, he didn't say that's what gets you into heaven by doing these things. No, but he says when a person has been born of God, their, their nature and their, their character and their action, their life changes so that as they live in obedience to God, it, 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 it boosters their confidence that they are who God says that they are. They're like, wow, I do look like my daddy. I do act like him. Everybody's been saying that. And I look at it, and it's true. Notice back in, in chapter 2, verse 28, he says this. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. Reassurance comes inwardly from God, but it also comes because we are who we say we are, who God says that we are by our life. So he says, live this way, abide in him, so that you will have that confidence. It shows you to be who you say that you are and who's God, who God has made you to be. So there's this dual aspect of this confidence that we have. It's an inward confidence that God gives to his people in a genuine way that, that God reassures us inwardly. We'll talk more about that because his Holy Spirit does that work in us. But there's also the fruit of our own living that shows us to be the apple tree, the orange tree, the fruit that says, I am the seed that God has planted. God has planted this seed. I see that fruit in my life. Now, could that fruit be fuller and richer? Yes. But I see that fruit in my life. So this thing of assurance, I remember talking to a young man years ago who latched on to this, this theme of, of being assured in God. And yet he hadn't latched on to the action that, that, that actually shows that. The living, the consistent living and obedience that comes out of being born or being of the truth. And so people latch on to that. They think, you know, if I'm connected with the right belief, if I go to the right church, if I connect myself with this, I'm okay. God says, no, it's two things you need to know. One is, I do a work inside of you, and I will show the evidence of that outside of you. And those two things will reassure you. I've done a work, my Holy Spirit is working in you, and he's producing fruit outside of you. Those two things will work to reassure you. He says this, go back to verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. What gives us reassurance? What gives us confidence that we are of the truth? Well, God does, and he does through the fruit that he produces in our lives. And he says there's times when your heart may condemn you, but don't pay attention to that. God is greater than your heart. See, your heart is not the standard. God is. 
And we can thank God for that. But he also says there's fruit that comes from this work that God does. Then he says this in verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. One of the things that happens, this is how we know that we are of the truth, is that we have a relationship where we can talk to God and he hears and answers prayer. We have that relationship with him. We have a relationship that allows us to ask of the Father and receive of the Father. I've used this illustration before that I'm a father of my children, but other children can come and ask me for something, but they can't have the same assurance that I will give them what I give without question to my own children. So that relationship that we have with God gives us assurance that we can ask him, because he's our father, we are his children, and that he gives to us. So when he says here in verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. He connects being of the truth with being able to speak to God and hear from God, being able to pray to God and get a response to God. You know, people of the world says, you know, I pray to God and he heard my prayer. That could simply be a coincidence that you prayed something that was according to God's will, but not because you're connected with him or because of your relationship with him. He was going to do that anyway. You just happen to benefit from his goodness, but not because you're connected with him. He says, so don't be mistaken by that. We ask and we receive. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now he ties again, not only that reassurance that we have that we are of the truth with the fact that we have a relationship that we can speak to God and God hears and God responds to us, but also tying it back again to our own obedience. It is of our, our nature, it is of our character, it is a pattern of our life that we walk in ways that are pleasing to God, that we do what he pleases. We keep his commandments. So he makes that connection. It's an important connection. So he's going back around to equating being of the truth and obedience. They go together. You can't say you're of the truth, you're of God, you've been born of God, if you aren't, in fact, walking and obeying God. He makes another connection, verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. I like this statement because he's talking about this is God's commandment. When I think about that term, this is God's commandment, do you remember when we looked at John, uh, the, the gospel of John, and, and we came up to that point in Jesus' life when people are trying to trick him, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the leaders, they came to him and said, Jesus, summarize the, 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 the Old Testament for us. Summarize the Ten Commandments for us. What's the greatest commandment? 
And what did Jesus say? The greatest commandment is this, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he says the second one is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarized God's commandment in those two great commands. Look at how John summarizes it now. This is his commandment, he says, verse 23. This is his commandment. One, what? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He is saying the same thing he said before. In other words, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart is the same as believing in the name of the Son of God. They go together. They are tied together. And the second one, we, we can see how it relates easy, that we love one another. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? He is saying this important truth is that, look, you cannot say... That you obey God if you do not accept Christ as the Son of God and fully trust in him. He's saying those two are connected. They always have been. Jesus challenged the religious leaders around him in the day and saying, look, you say you love God, but you're trying to kill me. That doesn't go together. I am from God. They tried to dispute him on that. Jesus said, look, you claim to walk in obedience to God's commandment, and yet the one that God has sent, you reject. Those two do not go together. So he says here, this is God's commandment. And he changes it, not changes it, but explains it to say, not just love the Lord your God, because that's something you think you do. Let me make it more specific. Believe in the name of his son. Believe in the name of his son is equated to loving God. He says it this way in, in, in previous uh, uh, passages. Look, look at John chapter 2, verse 23. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. He, 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 he connects the two together. No one, he says, who denies the Son has the Father. You can't just believe as you please and cut and paste from the Word of God and put your doctrine together. I honor God, the Muslims say. I honor Jehovah, some say. I, I, I honor Jehovah, the Jews say. But I reject his son, Jesus. Some will say, hey, look, you can do as you please, but I honor God. I don't have to believe as you believe about this Jesus one, but I honor God. Jesus says, you're false. That's not true. That's not consistent. It's not possible to do. You do, in fact, not honor the Father when you, in fact, reject the Son. You can't have it both ways. So he says here, this is his commandment. 
that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Notice he's saying this is God the Father's commandment. He's not saying this is something Jesus made up. He says this is God the Father's commandment. In other words, it's consistent with all that he's written before. What is it? That you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he, just as he has commanded us. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. I'm thankful for that simple statement because it gives us a definition. What does it mean to abide in God? It means to obey God. Not do it as you please or pick and choose what you're going to obey. It simply means to obey God. He uses this term abide, going back to chapter 2, verse 28, and now little children abide in him. Can we translate? Obey him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. It is our obedience that brings the confidence that we are in God. We can't produce anything by our obedience. It simply is the production, it is the fruit of our faith already. So he says, as you continue to walk in obedience, you show yourself to be a child of God. When Christ appears, you got nothing to fear. That's what he says. When Christ appears, you got nothing to fear. Because you are in him and you've shown yourself to be in him. He said, look, there's no sense in playing church all your life. It's no sense in playing games. He said, wake up. Be for real. And he's just saying, God's people really are for real. You don't have to put on airs. They don't have to fake it. They are this. And it's their living consistently that, that fosters a confidence that they have that they are the children of God. Now he introduces this other thought to it in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And God in him. We said abiding means to obey. Equates to that. Abiding means being in God means to obey, but it also means that God is in you. And how is that possible? He says this, we know, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit that he has given to those who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Sunday school is going through the doctrines, and they're going through the doctrine of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. They have gone through that recently. It's the Holy Spirit who brings us to faith. It's the Holy Spirit that identifies Jesus to it. He makes him plain to us so that we can see. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us life, that brings us to life. He makes us alive. And then he lives within us. 
He says, this is the confidence that you have. The Holy Spirit living in you. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. That's why he can say earlier in chapter 3 this. He, he says this in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He says when the Holy Spirit takes up his, his presence in your life, you can't keep on doing wrong without strong conviction. You can't continue walking in a path that's not consistent with obedience to God and, and be cool with it. It can't happen. The Holy Spirit won't let you rest in that. Let's tie this all together. It's the work that God does it's the person of God living in us. It's the Holy Spirit living in us that brings us that comfort that we are the children of God. That's somewhat some subjective, isn't it? But he says, let me make it plain to you. When the Holy Spirit is doing that work, you'll see it on the outside. By a changed life, a changed heart that lives differently. Both of those are going on. You need to ask your question, ask yourself the question, is that operating in me? Is God's Holy Spirit working in me so that I am I'm uncomfortable living in sin? I'm uncomfortable walking in disobedience to God. And so that I, um, I, I can't keep walking that path. Is, is God's presence in me pulling me, wooing me, challenging me, encouraging me, convicting me to walk in obedience to him? It's one of the things that he does, including giving us a love for, for God, giving us a love for each other, calling us to action and not just mere words. That's why he says in the previous pa passage, he, he says, Little children, verse 18, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Holy Spirit challenges us to put to practice. The Bible says, another New Testament passage says that, Romans 8, that God is, is bringing us to be conformed to the image of his Son, to be more and more like Jesus. He's doing that work inside us. And so that, that, uh, um, uh, that pattern of sin is being broken regularly, daily in our lives. Is that operating in your life? You need to ask yourself that question. Am I a child of God? Am I of the truth? Do I pass the test that God has given? Now, you know, it's important to, 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 to apply that and to, 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 to do it rightly because... God is going to test us. 
God is going to apply that test in our own lives. In chapter 2, verse 28, he says this, Little children, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. What's going to happen at his coming is he is going to set things straight. He is going to call those who are his true sheep to him. He is going to reject everyone who's not a true sheep. And they will face shame because they didn't pass the test. They never passed the test. They deceived themselves. They never really applied that test to themselves. The Holy Spirit is challenging you to apply that test. Are you a true, a true believer? And then for those who are true believers, he's saying don't base that just on how you feel at any given time, in any moment. Base that on the true work of God. He says your heart may condemn you. He says, but God is greater than your heart. What comfort he brings. And that comfort, though, is the same test. Just like what Jesus said to John the Baptist. What do you see? John, what do you see? I know you're discouraged now. I know you're at a low point in your life. But I'm not going to tell you anything differently. What do you see? What do you see in me, Jesus is saying to John? Do you see what I have done? Are you blind to that or is it apparent to you? Does that not convince you of who I am? God has done a work in you that is also apparent. You should either be encouraged by that work or be challenged that, that there's nothing real and that you need, to, you need to run to God. You need to run to Christ. If you're encouraged by that work, then you want to continue in that path and you want to walk in obedience to God. You want to be faithful to him in everything that he's called you to do. You want to be faithful until the end. That's, that's the character mark of God's people. They are faithful to the end. I can't help but think of our dear sister Beverly as she walked amongst us that her, she had a, a faithfulness. She had a love for God's people. She had a love for God's word. She would tell me when she was in the hospital, I heard you preach on Sunday. I said, well, how'd you do that? She got on the internet and would hear when she couldn't attend service, she would hear and listen to the message over the internet. And if I wasn't speaking, there was a time when Brian was speaking and she said, that was so encouraging. <laughs> I said, praise God, it's encouraging to me to know that you wanted to hear God's word and you wanted to be in the presence of God's people when you couldn't, you did the next best thing. She was faithful in serving God to the end.
she wasn't a perfect person because there are none outside of Christ. But it's an example of how one's faithfulness is what God is calling us to. And we thank God for that. It's because of her life that we have confidence that her, that her faith was real. Because we could see it. It was obvious to us that it was real. What will be said at your funeral as people observe your life? Did they see a consistency over time? Deal with that tough question now. Because when that time comes, you won't be able to change your faith. Deal with it now. Father, we pray and we thank you for your word that challenges us, that tests us, that reassures us as well. The writer says, we are your children right now, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would give confidence to those who are truly yours and that you would put in fear, in terror, those who are not, that they might run to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here now who has a question of that, may they deal with that question today. May they come to you right now. You said anyone who comes to you, you will not turn away. So we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your character. We thank you for the tests that help us see where we are and what we need. We pray, pray Lord, that we'd apply those tests properly in our lives. And we live in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Okay, church family, we need to get together and figure out how we're going to do Thursday's meal.